It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOT podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at cboc.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts at cboc.com. Welcome. I'm Dr. Jeremy Lokabaugh, Industrial Organizational Psychology Consultant and Workplace Communication and Negotiation Coach. In addition to cboc.com that you just heard, you can also visit my website at turnboot.com. If you're in or getting into the IO psychology field and you feel a little lost in the crowd, you're looking to jumpstart your career and maybe get the answers that your degree program never gave you about what it's actually like to work as an IO psych practitioner, check out CBOC's IO Career Pathfinder membership at cboc.com. Welcome everyone. Another Thursday at 1230 EST. We're going to talk about high stakes situations and what kind of psychological assessments are needed for that in the workplace. We're going to have more of a laid back kind of a meeting feel today. It's not going to be as fast paced. That being said, if you're listening to the podcast, there's going to be some screen sharing and we'll try to describe what we're seeing on the screen. But there's going to, there's a lot to go over, especially within an hour that can sometimes get a little complicated. So we might want to spend some time and asking some questions. So we're just going to everyone sit back, have your meeting, coffee, relax. And for the podcast, we'll try to clean up any any silences in between looking for files and whatnot as much as we can. So today we're talking about, you know, which assessments to use for high stakes situations in the workplace. And generally what that means is there's certain assessments that you want to use for hiring and for promotion and those kinds of things. And there's certain that you absolutely do not want to use. You know, you go back to the legalities of, of HR and what's HR, you got to keep the company out of legal hot water. So, you know, if you're a company and you're hiring a consultant to come in and do these kinds of assessments, you got you've got to be very sure that all kinds of stipulations have been met, that they do, you know, yearly reevaluating of the norming groups to meet EEOC and all these other standards. It's they've got to be highly valid, highly reliable. I'm going to show part of the technical report for something called the caliper which is a very, very good assessment to use in high-stakes situations. Us in the industrial organizational psychology world, especially those that are starting out, you know, we think of uh, psych assessments and what we are exposed to. And a lot of those are your DISCs and your Myers-Briggs and your Big Five and those kinds of things. And generally, those are the ones that you don't want to use in any kind of uh, a high-stakes situation. So we're going to talk about which ones you do want to use and why. So those other assessments, there's nothing wrong with them. They can be good for you know team building and even professional development, like your um, like your Colby Colby A, your Myers Briggs, your Discs. You guys can feel free to put more in the chat. I actually have a poll that I'll put up where you can list some of your favorite assessments. And the reasoning is you want to make sure that they're developed very very soundly. And if you're a consultant or you're going to look at using these things, you want to look at the technical report. Normally, a technical report, it's everything, right? It's like reading the dissertation of how the test was developed, the norming population, the data, every kind of validity statistic and reliability statistic and, and is going to be in there. Normally, a good, well, I shouldn't say, well, I should say a good tech report is going to be anywhere from about 100 to 200 pages long. There's a, a wildly popular assessment that is uh, out there now. 
And uh, I've looked at the tech report and it's four pages long. And I think one of those is the heading page and there's just no data on it, but companies are using this for these high stakes situations and it's kind of really caught on. So we'll talk about that. I'll name that a little later, but I'll start off. What are, are there any general questions? Are there any general takeaways that we're looking here from uh, the group that we have? Just raise your hand in, in terms of, hey, before we leave, I want to have this that I didn't come with, or here's a question that I always had about these assessments, or this is what brought me here. If that's the case, please feel free to raise your hand. Linda and I have one finger up, and that is the appropriate index finger. And now I see a hand, so <laughs> Linda Ann, go for it. So one of the things, especially with hiring, that's important for retention is to make sure that someone um, has a value system that is aligned with the organizational value system. And so is there uh, an assessment that helps with that? Values alignment? That's when you start to get a little tricky in terms of if you want to use that and rely on that. Every assessment that you use, you have to assume that whoever's doing the interpretation of that is going to be on the stand in court defending their use and interpretation of that, right? So it's important to look at what's in the tech report for one, because it'll show you if it's going to meet those standards. And a lot of times they'll tell you what should this assessment be used for. And a test, a test provider is not going to say it should be used for selection if it's not, because they don't want themselves in hot water. I was recently talking to a company who is using for a really high stakes situation, an assessment that was developed by someone. And it was um, augmentation of one of these you know, standard boxy type of assessments where it's like you put people in the, in the boxes. So, uh, you know, that's always important, but in terms of the values, it depends on what values you're looking for. Some of the assessments, when you look at the personality, those, those particular values will be in there, but there's also specific ones for that. I would consider that more of a, it depends on where you're going with it, I guess. That, that might be something I would consider an after hire, where you're doing a, a values assessment and you're trying to look at culture alignment and where the culture is going, what's the culture add of that particular person to the organization. Tell me a little bit more about what's what you're seeing. So one of the things is if honesty and integrity or integrity is like one of your core values as an organization, right, then you would want to make sure that people you hire have a pretty high level of integrity in the way that they conduct themselves. Otherwise, there's going to be dissonance down the line, right? And they're not going to stay. It's, it's more of a kind of retention thing. Is that making sense to you? Yeah. So it's interesting. So you mentioned integrity and and this is, uh, it's actually very timely. I find in life that, you know, we have these events and the life coincides. So I've been, I've been looking at for a new client that is doing executive search and, you know, they're asking what, what particular assessments should we use for this? Because this is, you know, a big deal. We're changing the direction of how we do this. And I said, well, we want to look at integrity for, you know, integrity. So we might need, you know, a couple of different assessments, you know, like a personality assessment plus a reasoning assessment plus an integrity assessment. So I do my due diligence and I, I'm contacting, you know, reps that I know that have been in the business for years and years and years. And they know these assessment catalogs like the back of their hands. And the integrity, the one, the integrity assessments that are out there specifically for integrity. And, and this is me speaking for, you know, individuals that have been, that really know. They're really for more hourly workers to make sure they're not going to, you know, steal out of the cash register. So there's no real high level types of integrity assessments. And I think the re in there, because they're not geared towards, nor are they normed off of that population, which means 
you know, what good is it really going to do? But I think, I think the reason is the assessments that I'll, that some of the assessments that I'll share, I think they're so good because of what they cover in terms of rule orientation or skepticism per se. And with these assessments, when they're interpreted, they it's, it's best practice to interpret them along with their reasoning ability. So you've got these scales. So you might have like 16 personality scales, for example, but then you have a reasoning scale. And that's basically, it's in a nutshell how smart someone is. But it's also in a nutshell, the type of reasoning, you know, is it more concrete? Is it abstract? Are they critical thinkers? And, and these type of assessments are, it's those crazy number, you know, crazy number things like, hey, what's the next number in the sequence? What, what shape, like your Watson glass or those kinds of things. So they are, their reasoning scales, but someone who's good at interpreting these assessments is going to be able to say, here's your reasoning ability. But here's here's also your this, this personality subscale, and here's where you scored on it. So you have to take that into consideration along with it. So doing that, and again, assess interpretation of an assessment. It's not you know it, it's not for the faint of heart. It's not it's not easy, nor should it be. But if you're a, a, an assessment nerd, it's absolutely fun. I mean, you think about being able to look and make connections and ask good questions and find anomalies and this fits, but this doesn't. And it's it's really it's really fun to get into. Brittany, do you feel, you mentioned uh, that Barrett has one and you and I had discussed that very briefly. Do you want to speak on that quick while I pull up this poll? Or? Sure. Uh, yeah. So Barrett has an assessment on values and you can essentially see if your current staff or incoming staff what's important to them. The way it ranks the output, it looks like some are less valuable than others, which isn't totally true. You need people that are scrappy and worried about making money because that will help push your organization forward. But then you also need the people that really value giving to others selflessly and having courage. So if you want to make sure that you have a well-rounded team, or if you need to hire someone that's specifically strong in one area, just like Linda Ann was saying, it's a tool you could use. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. And please feel free to bring that up further. So I have a quick question in, in regard to that. And, and that's, you know, when you're using these tools and you're looking for certain characteristics, let's say, how do you make sure you're not hiring clones like of each other, that you have a well-rounded workforce that bring different things to the table? That's where, so that's good. And that's where it comes to the relationship between consultant, which would be the one using the assessment and then, or the consulting company, and then the client and having that relationship with the manager to look at, you know, what are their team dynamics already like? What are some of the challenges that they're facing and what are they looking for in a new employee? It's also, there's other things to look at. There's something I've spoken about before. It's called a vector valence where, um, you know, in general, when you look at especially personalities, when you look at introversion versus extroversion scale, but that's very, very high level. And, and what I mean by that is how, how do people influence people in the organization? So basically, when you're looking at balance in a team, you want to have a good balance of people that put forth ideas and make suggestions and base their tasks on what's been done in the past, what's worked, what hasn't, what's the research, what the data. But you also need the people that are saying, all right, well, this person likes it. This person uh, would be involved. Uh, this person's on board and this is why this person was on board. So you have people who have different influence styles and, and reasoning behind it. It's called a vector valence. I mean, I've seen companies that are, you know, literally a, like a seesaw, right? 
And that's not good for a team. And you can see why, you know, some, some instances where teams aren't performing. And in that case, you want to look at a personality and, and predictable behaviors that are really going to start to balance that out. So this is to get a baseline. And maybe there are no answers. I'm just looking for a baseline from, from the group. The question for our podcast audience, what specific psych assessment should be used in high stakes situations? For hiring, promotion, and et cetera. You can text your vote to 757-941-5391 or join. You can see right down here, digitaljoyengage.com, code 13971. I'll leave this up and for uh, a couple moments. And then I think it would be helpful just in moving this along, please someone tell me otherwise, to share there's a couple of things that I want to I want to be able to cover today is I want to be able to cover in the tech report of the caliper because they have a really good one where it goes over how this could be defended in court, how their assessment could be defended in court. Um, I want to share an example of a sample profile for that, a sample profile for the 16PF and um, also for the uh, the Watson Glasser and then talk about how are these things to be used and if you know in combination yes you know you know the the hogan uh, it goes without saying but the hogan is obviously a very 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 popular one when you look at pricing you know the hogan's expensive the caliper is expensive the 16 pf is probably about a third maybe even a fourth of the cost maybe even a fifth of the cost and the 16 pf can be good but there are some additional benefits to to spending the extra money, especially if you're looking at those executive level hires. And then we'll look at, you know, what do you combine that with in terms of uh, like combining a, a Watson glass, like what's a combination of bombardment of assessments? Anything that's highly validated and reliable, employee engagement assessments, 360 degrees, feedback on leadership, hiring should be practical skills based, not personality based. So employee engagement assessments, they're usually used for, you know, an intact workforce and, and anyone can feel free to push back on me at any time, but an employee engagement assessment wouldn't do any good for a new, a new hire because that person's not with the organization yet in order to be engaged And the same with 360 leadership. So in terms of, uh, but I can see in terms of uh, promotion, yeah, a good, a good 360 feedback on leadership An employee engagement assessment is not necessarily a high stakes situation because it's just the employee providing feedback on their interaction with the company. It's not providing any feedback on, you know, their behaviors or, um, you know, why they, they, they might be able to advance based on their skills, based on their, um, their successes. And then we have a comment here, hiring should be practical skills based, not personality based. Uh, I would I would push back very strongly on that uh, for a lot of reasons, which I'll share. But of course, anyone feel free to push back on me. It's interesting that I see two predictive indexes. The predictive index is the one that I looked at their tech report and it was only four pages long and had very little on any kind of defense in terms of how, how it was derived, the history of it, how it would hold up in court, how it meet, meets any kind of uh, you know government uh, standards. And, you know, what I received was a tech report that I asked for. Maybe I didn't receive the, the big one. If anyone has something else, please send it to me. But that's, that was one of my determinations when I was looking at, all right, which assessments am I going to use here? Martha, you have a question? Well, I just wanted to um, comment on the 
um, skill-based versus personality-based, I think personality is just as important as skills when we're looking at new hires. You can have a superstar in terms of skills, but if their personality that does not match with the cohort or the company culture or is just downright toxic, that could turn into a disaster down the road. So that's my comment on that. I think personality is as important as skill. And when we, I'll share some of, you know, some some sample reports here, and it'll, it'll we'll all start to get a better idea because we'll have some visuals and see how the personality actually does play, actually does play into that. Jeremy, we're looking for a clarification on high stakes. Anything that would need to be defensible in court, and, and I mean, quite frankly, when you need to know, I mean, even not, so even not holding up in court, a high stakes situation. Let's let's pretend there was no such thing as an employee being able to take an employer to court for not being hired or promoted, the company still wants the the right assessment, that the company still wants an assessment that's going to be able to predict, that's going to be able to provide enough information based on reasoning and based on a variety of personalities and personality subfactors and scales to be able to determine proper fit for an organization. So, you know, even cut out the court thing, you know, what it's, if it's, if it's that important, if it's, you know, I would consider professional development, those kinds of things, uh, team building. Those are the ones where there's a little bit of a little bit of leeway, because there are assessments that you know you're not like your like like your disc and like your 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 uh, you know those kinds of things because they can, they can be helpful if done the right way. They can be helpful because it can help with you know with team building, with learning about your team more, with learning wise, uh, why you know wise. And, um, but, you know, with every assessment, especially when done in teams, you've got to be very careful. I've been, I've walked into, um, I've walked into a conference room when people were walking out, where a team was walking out and somebody was in there doing a team disc assessment and they were fuming because it created immediate conflict in that group and that conflict and I and I, I still had contact with this group. It created con- it created severe conflict. No kidding. That lasted for at least two years before I lost contact with the group because it was done in such a wrong way that it pointed out that it was just done. It's got it's got to be done well by somebody who you know who knows what they're doing and knows what the uh, the stakes are and what the the purposes for them being there. So what I'm going to do right now is share. The tech manual for the caliper. When you look at these tech reports, they're so detailed, so many graphs, charts. And what they do is they'll take other assessments. So another assessment I use is the 16PF. One thing that's neat about the caliper is it takes every scale and subscale of the 16PF and correlates it with every scale and subscale of the caliper. So I can see the, the intercorrelations and the, um, the, the validity consistency there. And it allows me to see, okay, if I'm moving from one to another, what am I doing? But you'll see how, you know, the caliper, you know, they do that with the, the big five. They do that with Hogan. They do that with, you know, a number, a number of them because they're so thorough in looking at making sure that with all the you know, criteria that it's all there. So here's where I want to go. Compliance with the EOC. So another thing in terms of what you want to look for in these tech manuals, especially if you're a consultant for a company and they're saying, hey, what should we do? You want to be able to point to some of this and make sure that your assessment is going to be in compliance. So here we have, as you can see, section 5.1, defining adverse impact. And you, you know, there's lots of terminology here with the EEOC, but then you can see what, what Caliper has done. 
So by law, there's a four-fifths rule as a guideline by by the EEOC and another governing body that has to apply in terms of who's you know how many people are selected. So it's eighty percent of the majority population and so forth. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get into that specifically, but you can see here you know what are the protected classes, what's the selection race ratio, and the caliper even goes farther and does a, a non required two standard deviations test to make sure that it doesn't even it meets but also exceeds any of the uh, the standards that are set forth by the by these governing bodies and they also do um, an, an annual reevaluation of it let's try to see if I have it highlighted on my printed report they do an annual reevaluation I mean you can just see how this is good right um, here we go can't find exactly but they, they do it basically an annual recalibration of the tool to make sure that it's updated with, you know, updated population uh, demographic numbers. Here, here's a section, and that's why it's important. We could spend all day here, but now I want to go to sh to show you another. So let's, you know, we'll pause and we'll and we'll stop. And uh, any hands to be raised with any questions? You're listening to Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. We'll be right back after this break. Turnboot. The name is not elegant. Neither are the issues that organizations face. Led by a PhD in industrial organizational psychology, you can rest assured that the highest standards and latest in workplace and human behavior science will be used to get your organization results with a tailored plan specific to your workplace needs. Truly helping others, integrity, positive impact, and getting results. That's what we stand for. That's Turnboot Organizational Excellence. Welcome back. You're listening to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. All right. So here, for example, when you get the when you get these these oh, Linda Ann. I'm curious because, you know, I have no background in assessments. And so is there something that kind of a chart that says, okay, if you're looking for this, these are the assessments to consider. And if you're looking for this, these are the, to make it kind of a, I don't know, a cheat sheet for helping guide people who are not as in, intricately familiar with this process as, as you are? Not that I know of. Well, that's job security right there, isn't it? Yeah. And yeah, not that I know of. And to be honest, I just recently heard uh, about the cal the caliper and started looking into it. And apparently there's a, a huge following and uh, really like repeat buyer kind of a thing where people are attached. It's hard to get them to move away from it. Caliper, I think would be the biggest, uh, you know, you've got the Hogan and I think, you know, you've got the two heavyweights to be the Hogan and the caliper. Kaylin. Um, yeah, so I was just going to add, so um, bureaus, they have a mental measurements yearbook where they um, track things as well as tests in print um, that they update regularly, which um, they, it's a pretty good job, but um, they are kind of the assessment yearbook people. Yeah, and that, that is good. And, and the nice thing about the, the mental measurements yearbook is that for every assessment, you'll have one, usually two or more reviewers, you know, scholarly reviewers that will give you a review and a breakdown. 
in two separate, um, you know, I guess uh, a, a little, you know, opinion, you know, factual opinion kinds of things of why this assessment might be good, why it might not be bad. It'll break down the validity and, and you'll get an evaluation of, uh, of all the psychometric properties of it. So that's, that is very valuable. Um, so yes, Bureau's Mental Measurements, your book, which unless you're in university and still have access and have access, it's great to have. If you don't have it, uh, I think it's pretty expensive and for good reason. I mean, they have volumes and volumes and volumes because you think of the thousands and thousands of assessments that are out there. Um, but yes, thank you for bringing that up. Uh, Lee. <clears throat> Thanks, Jerry. I wanted to just kind of address that for Linda and real quick. Um, one thing about this is you really want people who have trained and know what they're doing to administer these exams. So, are uh, these tests. So, you know, as far as looking at a clearinghouse and saying, hey, what would be the best test? Well, people who haven't been trained to do that shouldn't be doing that because there's so much in a lot of these, the, the interpretation, everything. And, uh, and as Jeremy was talking about with the legality, if you don't know what you're doing and you give these tests and you do them wrong, you know, there could be some, uh, some legal ramifications to that. Um, and a lot of them are pretty, pretty uh, in depth. I mean, it's been a while since I've, I've done any stuff, but I can remember going through a lot of this and you really need to be trained. And for a lot of these assessments, if you're not uh, trained or even certified by the person who produces the exam, then you really are not supposed to be giving it out. Thank you, Lee. So back to just in general, because, you know, I, I, there are people who haven't scenes what some of these look like and again so when you look at assessments a lot of them you can only get if you are at a certain level i can never remember the the letter system it's abc i always get it backwards uh some assessments you are require a phd some require a master's or a phd and there are some assessments available out there that can be used by your you know your human resource generalist uh without any special credentials and there are even versions of certain assessments for example like the 16 pf the you, your standard is your comprehensive insights report you can also based on that data they can float it in they can transfer it over to something called a competency development report that can be used because of uh the way the information is displayed the ease of reading it and better interpret ease of interpretation and, and to make a decision so that's important. And then again, with these assessments, uh, generally a certification for an assessment will cost anywhere between two and three thousand dollars, usually right about two thousand dollars. For those with a with uh, a PhD, chances are about one hundred percent that you do not need a certification because you have reached that level of scientific inquiry and assessment and statistics. Uh, but of course. It, it never hurts. It never hurts to get certified and and to get better at it. Some some uh, uh, sometimes you'll even get a discount on on the assessments that you use for your company if you are actually certified. So this is the caliper assessment. It looks the results look like assessment results, and you can see here you've got your more you know your more global competency overviews, and each of these will have separate subscales. This one's broken down. This one, this one, this one's broken down nicely. I know a lot of people in HR and a lot of people making these decisions. They like to see at least some, 
not just raw data, but they like to see something that's nice, like, you know, kind of like a pie chart kind of a thing or, or a bar graph to be able to look at these. And again, going back, these, you look at where's reasoning for this sample report. And this is a sample report. You can see ABC company, just so anyone knows confidentiality is very important. This is not a real one, but you would look and, you know, we're not going to get into, we're just going to do an overview today. We're not going to get into, you know, how do you interpret, how do you look at these? But you can see just in general how this particular report looks and how it can be effective. There, there will be somewhat of an interpretation, some, you know, guiding factors. Some, some reports have more than, than others, than other information. The 16PF, for example, is about 36, 40 pages long, which will provide more info for the particular candidate. Uh, if you do these kinds of things, it's always a good idea. Don't, you know, don't send the report to the candidate. And then, you know, a week later you have your, uh, your debrief. Usually when you want to do it at that time where you meet, you do a screen share, and you have an email that automatically is scheduled to send with their results and their PDF to them, if in fact, that's what you want to do. Uh, Martha, do you have your hand up? Yes. You know, we talk about um, these tests that are um, out there officially that have been compiled and tested and um, hopefully time proven. But I've also seen companies make up their own tests. And I have seen them, as scary as that sounds, I have seen them being quite accurate. Specifically, what I have seen are tests that look for attention to detail and the ability to follow directions. And I think the success rate of the predictability of the test was nearly 100% in that if they hired a candidate who failed um, uh, such a test, they were not at the company for very long. They were not successful at, at that particular job. So while that's not necessarily something that I would advise a company to do, I have seen that. So one thing, a couple of things come to mind. And, uh, and you know, if, if they work and they're valid and they measure what they're supposed to, great. Uh, you know, that's, that's perfect. You know, there are plenty of companies that do have, uh, you know, IO psychologists, for example, that are creating these assessments. And that is one of the jobs of IO psychologists. So in some sense, that doesn't surprise, that doesn't surprise me. Um, the things that I look for with that, when you, you know, it goes back to one of the fundamentals, people take an assessment and then they get a report and they go, wow, it's just like me. And my, my inside response, and sometimes my verbal response is, well, yeah, you're the ones that answer the questions. So you answer them a certain, <laughs> a certain way. It's supposed to be like you. It's not supposed to be like somebody else. So when people are like, oh my gosh, this is exactly like me. They're, you know, they're the ones that answer the questions a certain way. The other thing I'll say, which is kind of like kind of a bit of a caution is when you're looking at, at, at these particular things. So then I think about, you know, I'm thinking about what you said, and I'm 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 balancing that that skeptical person in me versus the you know um, you know open mind and and you know good things are, are are good for a reason. When you look at something like this, you look at you so you look at these scores, and these are scores from one to a hundred, and you look at really what the standard deviations might be because you're looking at where does a true score actually fall, and sometimes if if an if somebody looks at an assessment and says, "Yeah, it's good at, at predicting this behavior," 
it might be that it has such a wide, it's, they're looking at it in such a wide range of what the numbers could be. For example, uh, I'm, I'm going to mess up my ratios here, but like you're 57. So generally we can, I mean, in, in general, I'm just going to throw out some numbers here. We can, we can be, you know, 95% sure that that app, that score on, let's say accommodation is a 74. We can be 95% sure that their actual score is somewhere between probably a 54 and a 94. It's a pretty wide range, but then we can be 68% sure that their score is between maybe like a 64 and an 84. So those are other things to consider because you look at, you know, really the standard deviations between the actual score and what the score is and then the confidence level which again takes into interpretation and how these are being read. And with any anytime you collect data and anytime you interpret data, there's room for, uh, and this is just the skeptic in me, there's room for manipulation of that that data and, and that interpretation of it. Um, but you know, to what you said, Martha, I think that's absolutely fantastic. I think the fact that companies are looking at assessments and creating their own and having ones that are effective in predicting performance. That is that's that's great for the company. It's going to save the company a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of headache. And, uh, you know, when done properly, I think it's fantastic. So I'm, I'm glad you shared that. Um, is there another hand raised? Any questions or hands? Okie doke. Uh, so, yeah, so that'll give you a little bit of an. Oh, yes, Martha. You know, the other thing that I have seen, too, is. Um, there's a certain importance to the industry that we're talking about because uh, some tests may be uh, very valid and valuable to use, but there are differences from one industry to another where despite of how well that test performs for you, you have to take into consideration other variables before making, um, let's say, a hiring decision. So I've seen that too, where companies have used um, good tests that are um, reliable and proven successful with time, but uh, certain variables within the industry came into play and affected how that hire worked out or didn't work out. So I, I think that's important to think about too. Certainly. And any good test publisher is going to have a disclaimer like, you know, here and there and here and there saying, do not use this alone to make a hiring decision. Uh, use situational judgment tests, use you know, skill-based tests, those kinds of things. You know, we know, I mean, you can look at all the research, biographical data, resumes, the worst indicators of any kind of success. Um, you know, it's just there, the research is there. So it's important that we use that data in conjunction, like Martha's saying, with an assessment if, 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 if the company is able to use one skill-based um, situational judgment test, uh, et cetera. Brandon. So I think it's interesting because I always have a lot of these conversations with people and a lot of people don't judge an interview as an assessment, but an interview is an assessment, albeit very subjective, um, but it is still technically assessment. And uh, one of the questions that I know a lot of is very important when you're doing the interview process, and again, this kind of feeds into what you're saying about the resume, is, and I, I, anyone on this can use this, uh, whenever you're interviewing somebody, 
ask them to a question about, can you tell me about a time when you struggled with something or where you failed at something, how you overcame it? And asking that question gives you a lot of information on that person that will lend into their future success on the job and how, you know, based off of the future, the, the past struggles that they had in their previous work. So just a quick little tip. Certainly. And add to that, what was the result and only give them 60 seconds to do it. I've heard that to be very effective. A challenge, what you did and the result and you have 60 seconds and I'm not repeating the question. Um, totally agree. What I'm showing now, and I'm keeping an eye on hand, please, please rate, rate, raise hands and, and, and ask questions. These um, cited info is great. So here, for example, I mentioned before that you can have an, a, like a full-blown assessment and then have a different, you know, based on the same results, you just have a different report that can be used for like for your hiring managers because they might not have the, the you know, like the legal requirements to be able to give a, an a assessment debrief. So here's the, um, here's a 16 PF sample report. This is a sample report and nothing confidential, although it says confidential because they all say that. So in general, and these assessments that I'm showing, so the, I'm going to get my dates mixed up. Uh, this one started in, I think, the 60s uh, with Cattell start, started doing, you know, started this one. The, the caliper, I think, started in the 40s, or I've got the, the decades wrong. So you, you're talking about years and years and years and years and years and different iterations. This, for example, is the sixth iteration. This is the sixth edition over many years of this particular assessment. And then of course you have, this will look familiar to everyone because you look at the 16 PF and you know, what, what sprung, you know, what, uh, you know, what gave birth to the big five and these other things, here you go. So you can see here, these, these scales and these, these global scales and inside here, you look at the primary factors that are within these particular scales. And you also have this reasoning. So again, this reasoning, this is, you know, in a nutshell, said badly, it's how smart someone is. Here's what I mean by the standard deviations too. So, you know, you've got a five on warmth, but really 95% sure that it's between a three and an eight, three and a seven, and then between a four and a six, you're 68% sure. So these can go either way. When you look at the, when you look at these kinds of things, <clears throat> we look at what defines a, a unique kind of a personality. Anything you see in the dark blue, when you have a, you know, a, a high score or a low score, these are really defining characteristics of someone. So when you're looking at these and, and who you're going to hire, these are the characteristics that really aren't going to change throughout one's career. Um, usually the, you know, it's, it's, I think with the 16 PF, it's um, suggested to, to be redone every year because scores can change a little bit. In general, when we're looking at this, though, these are pretty concrete. And unless someone experiences a traumatic, meaning big, good or bad life experience, the personality is not going to change one way or another too much. When you look at someone, you know, think of a friend you have. They're unique. They have you. They'll have uh, you know th these different like liveliness. On, you know, high on one side or high on another. Vigilance, high on one or high on another. If you have a friend who's just you know, easy to figure out, blah, no surprises. If somebody described them to you, you, you wouldn't know them from anyone else. You know, that, you know, that'd be someone who had, which would be, I think, statistically impossible, someone who had just like all fives the whole way through here. 
but these are defining characteristics of a particular personality, which are, you know, that's where you look at not just where they're at, but also determining what are the stable characteristics of one's, of one's personality. The. Is he frozen? I think so. I thought it, I thought I wasn't sure if it was him or me. No, I think Jeremy is frozen. Well, if I may chime in while we wait for Dr. Jamie or Jeremy to come back to us, um, he briefly mentioned uh, assessments that may be readministered every so often. And that brings to mind assessments that may be valuable for people who have um, high stress type of jobs, assessments that may evaluate their current psychological um, stability or health. So that's something to consider too. So when you think about professions that are high stress, um, police comes to mind, first responders, things like that, it may be valuable to administer certain type of assessments on a regular basis to make sure that they are healthy in terms of their emotional and psychological health as they are exposed to highly stressful job situations. So um, Dr. Martha, one of the things that always comes to, to mind is, um, you know, there, these aren't, uh, the costs aren't inconsequential for some of these, you know. And so what's, when somebody, and, and it's hard for some organizations to look long term beyond their current fiscal budget, right? And uh, so what's the return on investment for some of these or the value base for doing it, say, annually or even at all? So think about the um, the publicity that several police departments throughout the country have been getting over the last few years alone, right? Really bad uh, PR because of certain behaviors. But um, and of course, with that beyond just the bad reputation and loss of trust from the community and potential lawsuits, which can be millions and millions of dollars. But if that police department were proactive and allocate the budget for not only um, regular testing of how well their um, staff, their police officers are faring, but also providing treatment as necessary, providing benefits and support to these people who are exposed to high stress uh, situations on a daily basis. Think about what that could save them long term in terms of money and lawsuits and reputation and all kinds of issues. So to me, that's a no-brainer. But of course, I come from a different perspective than they do when they're worried about budgets. But even then, um, considering what's on the news, if you're proactive and try to take care of a situation before it becomes a situation, isn't that priceless? Well, and the other thing that comes to mind too, though, with that is, you know, you're inserting this into a certain kind of culture, mm-hmm. right? And so when that happens, do they feel like, well, I don't really want to be vulnerable and accurate in this test because that could have repercussions on my career mm-hmm. and or I might look a certain way to my peers. 
Mm-hmm. Well, one would hope that your peers don't know what your test results are, but certainly someone within the company, HR, your manager, somebody else will if they have an opportunity to help you by providing the resources and whatever help you may need, whatever support you may need in that job. So, I guess that's a catch-22. You can either ignore it until it becomes a big issue, or you can be proactive and get over the initial embarrassment of, of taking these tests. And some of these tests, it's frightening how accurate they are. They reveal things about you that maybe you never even admitted to yourself until you see it on paper. But it is what it is. If if we can't be honest with ourselves and be proactive, then how can we address serious issues? Let me let me jump in real quick since I, I come from one of these communities. Um, you know, I mean, first off, it's the obvious thing you got to you got to convince the organization that it's it's vital and worth the money, and you're going to get the good ROI and all that kind of stuff. The second part of this is, I think what kind of where you were going, Linda, and is the, the buy-in of the people that are being tested. And a lot of that comes from the culture and the the support from above. So if you have a culture where, you know, you just, you know, you suck it up, you know, you, you get an injury, you rub some dirt on it and you keep going, you know, that's not the kind of place that's going to be very conducive to these sort of assessments. And when you say we're going to take the assessments and you're going to get these guys that are going to hire, you can get a lot of that. And they're going to only halfway do it. Um, they're going to be resistant. They're going to be grumbling. I mean, there's going to be a lot of stuff. You could actually really damage your organizational culture by doing this. So, it, you know, it's really important after, you know, the, the organization has the buy-in that the that from the top, they foster that change because it's going to be a change. It's going to be a major change that, you know, the the uh prevention is good mental health is important um we're trying to help you not hinder you uh there's so many many other aspects of that i mean we saw that for i mean we're still dealing with that in the military of the stigma of getting help and yet we we keep having all these things about you know preventing suicide in the military well you know those kind of go together and until you get that the organization to change that culture to get the trust with the people to where they they buy in um once that happens i mean you're golden you can do exactly what martha said i mean we're gonna you know you can prevent a lot of these things but it is a it is a major major change yeah this is good conversation thanks for picking up everyone as my tech decided to go for a walk for a little bit thanks for (laughs) uh so, you know, a couple of things based on what you're saying. So, Linda Ann, you mentioned about people saying, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll take it, but I'm, uh, I'm just going to lie or I'm not going to pay attention. The good assessments will have some something in place. So, for example, here on a 16 PF, I mean, it's it's not it's not 100 percent, but they're very, very, very good. And they use they use statistics to do it. Are people lying to make themselves look good? Boom. It'll tell you impression management and it's all and it's all in there um acquiescence right are they just doing it in a kind of i don't care i'm just going to put this i'm just going to put that are they doing it in a way that uh they're really just responding randomly or just trying to get through it quick because there's there's questions in there you know for example it might say you know i want i want the people i love to be safe 
All right. Well, if somebody answers never, well, that's that's a that's a flag. That's a flag for one reason, but it's also a flag because more than likely that person is just responding randomly, for example. And you can also look back, it'll tell you, and this is where really good, this is where really good interpretation matters. You can look at the you can look at each of the you have each of the item responses here. You can also look here, and this is why statistics matter and good interpretation matters, because you can see like, are people saying strongly agree a lot? Or are they doing neutral a lot? You know, how many are there? So if somebody is, you know, overly strongly agree, it means that they are, you know, they're very, very, very sure of, of these particular characteristics. So, I mean, these are all talking points when you're doing a debrief and interpretation, especially look when you're looking for the high stake situations where you, where you might be looking for potential derailers uh, for a candidate. <clears throat> the next thing I'll mention is here where we left off, it kind of falls into like what Martha was saying. If you like, you're right. So this has a scale for coping with pressure. So generally you look at this, right? And this a hiring manager says, oh, I want all of it. You can't have all of it. You, you, it's important to pick three to five, maybe, characteristics that you want um, a candidate to, to have a high score on. And if they don't, you can't just throw it out because, again, we're still looking at, all right, is it really a three? There's a 68% chance it could be a two or a four. So you've got to look at that, too. But you can't you can't say, all right, well, my most important things are customer focus, coping with pressure and decision making. Oh, but they got a, a one on continuous learning. So they're no good. Well, you picked your you picked your three. You kind of got to stick with it and then look at you've got to be a good interpretation of it. How does that play in to these particular other factors? Do you you know, how does one leverage out the other and how does one maybe compensate for the other? And also, when you look at the uh, side note, when you look at the interpretation of this, that's where you've got to just you've got to study these manuals because you've got you know you'll have these these charts and understand you know in the tech manuals what should happen if another is happening and what shouldn't happen i mean in general when you're talking about a correlation as far as the the population goes of people who have taken this so if you have someone who is um you know very low in seriousness very low in dominance very low in emotional stability, but very high in social boldness, you might have a problem because those things are really all supposed to, they're, they're, they're in general, the general population, they correlate. So when I say you've got a problem, I mean, you've got a talking point. That's something that you would need to bring up with the particular candidate or individual and, and see. It doesn't mean it's anything. It doesn't mean it's anything bad. I've had I've, I've done assessments for people where they've had no things, you know, everything correlates that normally would. I've had that, that, that won't. My assessment, I think I have 13 things that don't correlate that should. So my also, my personality, I'm with, I'm like, the, there's like what, 3% of the population has a personality as complex as I do. That's the result of it. Because you can also tell that by looking at the technical manual, you can look at how complex is this person's personality based on their results in comparison to the population. So there's so much that can be derived from these assessments rather than here I'm looking at it, I have a snapshot. It's so much more than that. There's so much digging. There's so much you know, inside that can be brought out with that. And it's so very, very important to to you know, make sure that 
the interpretation is good. Uh, Brendan. And and something else that you you kind of brought up, but it's it's important with these assessments is I found that a lot of people who don't score like they should or don't score in the category that they should, it's simply because they didn't read the directions. Um, when I first was younger in my career, I, I did where you're talking about strongly agree, strongly agree. You don't really strongly agree with as many of those things as you really do when you look at it and read through it. And you're probably more to the neutral to agree side. And I think people go into it, don't thoroughly read the directions, come across a little bit extreme. And then someone looking on the other side is like, wow, this person might be a sociopath. And that wasn't the goal of the assessment. The goal of the assessment was, <laughs> are you fit for this job or not? Yeah. And it part of that is part one way they get around that is they encourage people. And this this where it goes to the kind of the proctoring of it. They encourage people to, to, to you know, you, you don't spend too much time on it. What's your first reaction? And then go with that. And that's that's in there for a reason. But again, you know, there's no perfect. Brendan, you're, you're absolutely right. As you always are. Brendan. There's no there's no. There's there's no perfect assessment, but I'll tell you these these uh, people that develop these assessments are very 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 good at, at, at what they do. The feedback um, I've always gotten is answer it as your truest self. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, we Jeremy, are Jeremy. That's pretty much our uh, our time. So I just wanted to let you know we're at an hour. Thank you. Yes. All right. So we are going to wrap up uh, while I. Just mention the next. Feel free to raise your hand with any thoughts. So next week we're having we had some tech tech difficulties last week, so we're doing a reboot and a rescheduling of our um, training methods to make learning stick to turn uh, learning into behavior. Something to that effect is the title for next week's event. And of course, can't get away from here. Oh, ah, ah hold on, can't get away from here without saying. Pathfinder program, CBOC for those uh, in school or new to the IO, IO career, and then expert membership if you're an expert looking to join our community there. And Brittany has something to say about tonight. Please, Brittany. Yes, tonight we're kicking off a five-week program with Jeremy being featured. I got tired of chasing um, expert consultants individually to get them to mentor me. So I reached out to five that I really wanted to know their specialty and pulled them into a program and I'm opening it up to everyone. You can read about it at the link that I'm sharing in chat. Today's the last day to jump in. Jeremy's the first speaker. We're going to have five. They're almost all IOs, but they're in the field doing the work. So essentially everything that our universities just couldn't teach us about being a consultant. If you're consulting or you plan to consult, this is a great place to start using someone else's expertise and avoiding some of the uh, mistakes and challenges they had along the way. And the people that Brittany has chosen, I love dearly, and, and she chose some very good people. So you're going to learn a lot. Uh, the link is in the chat, and you can also go to her LinkedIn. There's uh, some posts with the links there as well. So yeah, join us tonight. Starts at six, right? Eastern time. Six Eastern time. Right. Okie doke. Uh, thank you, everyone. Signing off in five, four, three, two, and one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. 
Don't forget to sign up at seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? Don't forget to check out our corporate, career boost, recruiter, and even student memberships at seabock.com. 